subject this afternoon is entitled Porter. We're going to take up all the highlights, or at least as many of the highlights on this subject that is possible to discuss in this time that we have. I want to read this quotation from Great Controversy, page 609. It says, Different periods in the history of the Church have each been marked by the development of some special truth adapted to the necessities of God's people at that time. Every new truth has made its way against hatred and opposition. Those who were blessed with its light were tempted and tried. The Lord gives a special truth for the people in an emergency. Who dare refuse to publish it? They cannot remain silent except at the peril of their souls. Now, this subject on the porter is the very present truth for our time, and that is the reason why we're studying it. We should really understand it so that we may be able to give it to others. We have come to the time when this subject is made crystal clear. A few years ago, when we were feeding from the pasture of Bashan, no one understood the subject of the porter. But now the Lord has opened it up to us. Over here, you could see the importance of studying this subject since it's the very present truth. From what we're told in early writings, page 87, I saw that the saints must get a thorough understanding of present truth, which they will be obliged to maintain from the scriptures. So you could see that it's very important that we have a thorough understanding of this subject. And after we hear it today, I hope we'll go away and really study deeper into it so that you can get for yourselves many of the important points that you'll be able to get from personal study. Now over here on page 63 we're told, There are many precious truths contained in the Word of God, but it is present truth that the flock needs now. That's why I was emphasizing the other night in worship the importance of studying the rod message. Some people begin to read the testimonies and, and want to read from page one right on. Now, it's all right to read the testimonies, but we have to really understand the present truth first. Then the present truth, as you read it from the rod, it validates the testimonies, the parts of the testimonies that should engross our whole minds and our whole attention. And if we really become conversant with the present truth of the rod, then we will also automatically know the testimonies, for the rod amplifies or brings out the testimonies. I'm reading now from 1 TG 51, page 7. This is paragraph 2. Truth is growing, and we should keep pace with it. So this is important for us to realize too. And being based in the Vedians, we really have kept pace with this truth that is growing. But you'll be surprised, and I know that you really wouldn't be because you know already that there are many Davidians who, although this instruction is given in the rod and all these important points, yet they don't know anything about them because they don't want to keep pace with the truth. They refuse to do it. 
over here on page six, it says, Inspiration makes it plain that God's plan is that the church should ever be growing both in knowledge and perfection till we all come into the unity of the faith. So this is another important point that we should remember, that we should be growing both in knowledge and in perfection. And as we grow in knowledge, automatically we'll grow in perfection too, if it's the right knowledge, if it's the knowledge of God. Now going over here to page 13, we're further told, this is paragraph 3, who are the wise? They must be those who are ever searching for golden oil, those who have their vessels full, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Those who are let in through the door are those who have obtained and followed an up-to-date map of truth. So that's another important point. You know, we're going to study further about the door and those who are let in and who let them in. But you could see how important it is to follow an up-to-date map of truth. An up-to-date map is highly important, even in highway travel. You'll find that they have some old road maps that don't take in all the new highways. And if you're following those old road maps, you wouldn't know a thing about the old day the new highways that are being built. And consequently, you'd slow yourself down a lot by poking along on the older roads. And many times they don't even keep up the older roads because the new highways are better and, and so they don't maintain the older roads as they should. So you could see how important it is to get a new map when you're traveling, a new road map. And even so, it is highly important for us as Davidians to follow an up-to-date map of truth, up-to-date. Now, 1 PG 49, page 12. We therefore need an up-to-date religion every day. We cannot afford to be without it. No, not even for a moment. So here again, we're told how important it is to have an up-to-date religion. We can't afford to be without it, even for a moment. Now, in studying the subject of the porter, we first go back to the Old Testament, to the time of the children of Israel. And you will remember that in those days, porters were set at the gate. Let's read about them, how many of them were chosen and what were their specific work. I'm reading now from Second Chronicles 23, and I'll read verses 4 and 19. It says here, This is the thing that ye shall do, a third part of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and of the Levites, shall be porters of the door. Now we just begin this study and we don't want to have any Eutychuses among us. You remember who Eutychus was? Yeah. So everybody must be wide awake because we don't have the, the apostles here to bring back anybody from death if they should fall down. So let's go ahead now. How many parts of the Levites were chosen to be porters? 
a third part. Now let's go over to verse 19 and we'll see what their work was specifically. And he set the porters at the gate of the house of the Lord, that none which was unclean in anything should enter in. You notice what it says here? You see, people are really stubborn, you know. They want to have their own way. The Lord had specific reasons for saying that the unclean should not enter into the gates of the house of the Lord. And they know it fully well, but they just wanted to get in there somehow, even though they know they shouldn't go. So it was necessary for the Lord to put porters there. But how would the porters know that these people were unclean? They didn't come with their uncleanness inside, evidently, because they were hiding it. They wanted to go in. So obviously and very um, necessarily, these porters had to be inspired because they could never tell who was unclean and who wasn't unclean. And so God used them to do the work in that, those days because, as I said, people are stubborn. They always want to find their own way of doing things. They don't want to follow an up-to-date map or to take orders. Now we'll go over here to John 10 and read what is happening today in our midst about the sheepfold and what is God's plan. This is John 10 from verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, this sheepfold had a door. And as you know, a building without a door is, what good is it? How would you enter it, see? Unless you're going to be a thief and a robber and go through the window. The door is the easiest part to get into, the easiest way to get into a building. And the Lord has a sheepfold and he has a door. And we know that door to be Christ. And it's so easy to get into the sheepfold through the door and yet people are so stubborn and filled with their own ideas that they don't want to go through the door. And so as a result, they want to they climb up some other way, as the Bible says, to get into the fold. Somewhere or the other, they're going to work it out. This is not God's plan. He has a sheepfold and he has a door. And he intends that people should go through the door into the sheepfold. But being what they are, people being what they are, they don't want to follow God's way. Now, not everyone, some people. Now, in contradistinction to those people, verse 2 will tell you that there are others that will enter into that door or who do enter into that door to the sheepfold. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So God had true shepherds. And these shepherds are not seeking to get into the sheepfold and by their own devising. They're taking God's way, and God's way is through the door. Well, let's read verse 3 now. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. So in addition to the door, there is a porter at the door. And the porter opens up to the true shepherd as they try to enter into the uh, sheepfold. 
But the porter had to, just like those in ancient Israel, he has to have more than human wisdom to know to whom he should open up to because people are going to try to get him that are not worthy to get him. So like the porters at the gates in ancient Israel, he has to have more than human wisdom, divine enlightenment or inspiration as we call it today, so that he would know who to let into that door. Moreover, he should know the requirements because not everyone, if not everyone should enter in, then that means that not all are following the requirements. And unless the porter knows the requirements, then he would know who to let in or who to keep out. Now, the porters in ancient Israel, they knew the requirements. That was that no unclean person should enter. So even so today, God's porter must know the requirements. Now, porter, such as you know him to be, is a humble person. He's not the, the owner. He's just a supporter. He's humble. So let me read to you now from First Tanya Greetings, Volume 1, page, number 2, from pages 19 and 20. We'll continue reading about the porter. After quoting verse 3 here, the rod says, The porter, the one in charge, opens the door only to those who have complied with the requirements for admission. So here again you're told that there are admissions, uh, requirements for admission, and only those who comply with these requirements, to those only will the porter open the door. In other words, the Lord is plainly telling us that no one may dodge the porter's inspection and forever get by. So there are porter dodgers, people that are trying to get in, as verse 1 says, through some other way. And today in the video, you'll see that there are many people who, many Davidians, old Davidians, who don't want to come in through this door, through this way that the Lord has ordained for them to get into the sheepfold. And one reason is, or one of the reasons is, that they're against the porter. They like the sheepfold very well. They like the door so-called, but they don't like the porter. They wish that God had not a face at that door, in other words. They have different ideas and different reasons for not liking the porter. And so they want to bypass the porter. They don't want to get in. And you know what the Lord called those people? He calls them the goats. This is what page 21 says. The goats, though, those who dodge the porter while entering must, of course, do so while coming out too. Consequently, they cannot be led by God's appointed shepherd. Since they're dodging the porter, they can't be led by God's appointed shepherd. And further, the next paragraph says, they are those who are dodging the porter at the door of those who know not that who know that their deeds cannot stand inspection. So here you could see why they're trying to dodge the porter because their deeds can't their deeds can't stand inspection. Going on further with page twenty, it says, 
And yet, in spite of this warning, and in spite of the fact that to go through the door is even easier than to climb over the fence, some choose to take a chance, stealing their way in, pretending to be in the faith, thus getting into the sheepfold, and hoping to take over to get a following. It is, however, not possible to induce God's true sheep to follow them, for they know the true shepherd's voice. Only those who gain entrance through the door and to whom the porter, the one through whom the spirit of prophecy is manifested, opens are the authorized shepherds whose voices God's sheep hear. Now, when we were reading from Second Chronicles, we reasoned that those porters there had to be inspired to know who were unclean and who were not unclean. But here we're not reasoning it out alone. It's left on record so that we wouldn't have any doubt in our mind concerning this porter and his work. Definitely we're told that the porter the one through whom the spirit of prophecy is manifested. So here you see that this porter has to have divine enlightenment to do this work that God has put into his hands to do. Even though the goats may not like him, and even though they might try to get in through the sheepfold on false pretenses or in through, through some other means, Yet the Lord says that the porter is there and he has to discharge his duties as God has given them to him. Continuing further, you see, the porter authorized shepherds. Now, that's what I just read. That's one of his the jobs that he has to do. Now, talking about the authorized shepherds, it says, All sh such shepherds call the sheep by name. They are well acquainted with their flock because they are intensely interested in them, and they carefully lead them in and out. Now, these people are not these, these shepherds. They're not hirelings. You know who a hireling is. He just works for his wages just because he's working. That's all. He has no interest in the sheep, any real profound interest. This shepherd or these shepherds, they're not only interested in the sheep, or they are not interested in the sheep because of the wool they can get from the sheep, or for any other reason save that they like the sheep, and they are intensely interested in them. This is the mark of a true shepherd, intensely in interested in, in the sheep. Furthermore, we're told, here the student of present truth will note that by this illustration, Christ points out that the only shepherds that he recognizes as his are those to whom the porter opens the door and invites them in. The student will also note that all others are branded as imposters and that the sheep that hear the false shepherd's voice, he declares, are not his sheep. Now you could see clearly then that all those who call themselves Davidians, and they are claiming to be Davidian teachers, if they are not authorized by this porter, they are imposters right off the reel, even though they claim to believe the rod. 
they are not among God's sheep, but rather, as the PG here said, they're among the goats. Whether they like it or not, that's where they are. Now, if you go to them and ask them whether they were authorized by the porter, they have to tell you no because they don't recognize that there is any porter in their midst. There's only one group of Davidians who recognizes that the, the, the porter is in their midst, and that's the Bashan Davidian. I've talked to them, several of them, and asked them, well, what do you say? Are, are you the porter? Oh, no, 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 I'm not the porter. Right away, they know they're not the porter. But nevertheless, they have shepherds, and they're authorizing shepherds. So you see that they're not doing God's work. They're having their own way and doing their own thing. This porter is an inspector because he knows the requirements. He has to inspect the sheep and inspect the shepherds to see if they're worthy. And people don't like inspectors, naturally. I'm told when we were living in La Sierra, we lived close to the Loma Linda Food Factory. And I'm told that periodically inspectors would go into the factory to inspect the cans and other products to see that they're up to par. And sometimes they condemn whole batches of their goods because they're not good. They're not up to specifications. And naturally, the owners don't like inspectors because there's a loss if the inspectors find that their goods are not good. They're not saleable. They can't take them to the market, and so they don't like the inspectors. No, recently, we visited a family in Arkansas who has um, a dog kennel, quite a big kennel. And the lady was explaining to us that she has to keep the place up to date because the inspectors come in ever so often to inspect the kennel. And if they find that it's not according to specification, then she'll lose her license. Now, how silly for her to hate the inspector. That would really be silly. The thing she has to do is to work to bring her kennel up to date. I'm sure that all of you or some of you here have heard my husband tell the story of the time when he was engaged in work with the state of California and the Fishing and Game Commission. And as an inspector, he had to inspect lobsters. And he said they would flop them on the board. They had to be so many inches. And if they were not that big, say six to eight inches, I don't remember which, they were confiscated, they were taken away from the people. Now those people who were fishing, they were Sicilians, and he said that they were a rough bunch. So they didn't like him one bit because that was his word. They didn't want him to take away their fish or their lobsters. But according to specifications, they had to be confiscated and they didn't like it. So as I said before, not many people like inspectors. And that is the reason why the porter, the one in charge of this door, or the one at the door, is not being liked very well because of his work. He's an inspector, and people don't want to have their deeds inspected. They want to get into the sheepfold anyway. This porter opens the door, the door, as I read, to all those who have complied with the requirements. So if you're complying, Requirements, you have nothing to fear. 
So we see that the porter's work is, he opened the door to those who comply with the requirements. The living spirit of prophecy is manifested through him, and he authorizes the shepherds, so that there will be authorized shepherds to go out and work for the sheep. Now when Sister White was here, she was the living porter of her day. She had the living spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy was manifested through her. But after she passed away, then necessarily she wasn't able to do the work of a porter. So God said, another one, we read about him in Testimonies to Ministers, page 475. What does it say there? That's right. Now, when he appears, men may say, you are too earnest. You do not interpret the scriptures in the proper way. Now, the, the church, though, they have come to believe that they studied Sister White's writings, and they be, some of them, and some of them haven't even studied her writings, but they stopped just where she left them. They said, no, there's no more to come after Sister White. We don't want any more. Furthermore, they studied some of the supernatural manifestations that she had as a prophet, such as the visions and dreams, and such as holding up a Bible in her hand for that long period of time, and they know that was supernatural. And some of them will tell you, if somebody's to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, did he have visions? Did he have dreams? Did he hold up a Bible? You know, they think that that is the test of a true prophet. Now, I studied that in Bible doctrines when I was in Adventist school. And they put that down as one of the lessons, the test of a true prophet. And they listed all those points. You have to have visions, you have to have dreams, supernatural manifestations such as lifting up the Bible and so on. Now those are not the only ways in which God works. They are limiting God to one mode of working. And we're told in Hebrews 1 verse 1 that God at sundry times spoke in diverse manners to his servants, the prophets. So you see that God doesn't speak the same way, directly the same way all the time. So the Adventists are satisfied to remain, or the majority of them are satisfied to remain right where Sister White left them. They don't want to proceed any further. Now you take the Vidians. They say, yes, we have brought a heart of but we believe that Brother Hodaf was the porter because he was the last prophet. This is what they'll tell you. They stop at the tomb of the dead prophet, just as the teaching says. They're not willing to go on. And they said, well, he is the porter. Now, first of all, you know that Brother Hodaf is not here and he cannot authorize any shepherd. Because a dead porter can't authorize living shepherd. That's just something that's self-evident and it's very clear. So once you wonder, how could people who are supposed to be intelligent and rational human beings thinking for themselves, how could they claim to believe the rod, believe this TG and all the rest, and yet believe that Brother Hodaf is a porter? You see, there's something wrong with such reasoning. Furthermore, they came to that conclusion because Elijah is supposed to be the last prophet to the church. And they said, well, if he's the last prophet to the church, 
then we don't have any more means or need for a porter or because he's the last prophet. Now that's false reasoning because Brother Hart clearly showed over and over again, the rod showed, I should put it that way, that Elijah is the last prophet to the church. And according to the parable of Luke 14, we're told there that the servant is the last servant. But the thing is, divisions have failed to reckon with certain important facts, just as Adventists are failing to reckon with certain important facts. Now let's turn to Luke 14. This is a very well-acquainted passage to Davidians, so I don't think we'll go into the whole thing to read the whole parable. It's talking about this man who went out, who made a great supper, and bed many, and you know what happened, how they all began to make excuses. And then the servant um, went to the Lord and said that they're all making excuses, and the Lord was angry. And verse 21, the middle part of the verse says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Now the rod conclusively shows that this servant who is doing this work is Brother Hart of Elijah, the last servant. So now the vision says, you see, well, we have the last servant, so there's no room for anybody else. Now go on to verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now up to verse 21, the Lord was working within the city. And this was the servant's work. He was here. But some divisions fail to see that there is a little interim period in between verse 21 and verse 22. That it didn't say that this servant would continue with his work from the city right out into the highways and hedges, uninterrupted and unbroken. It didn't say that at all, nowhere. So, for a little season, the Lord has laid away the servant. But he's going to come back again. And when he comes back, then verses 22 to 24 will be fulfilled. For that's the time the loud cry will take place. That's the time antitypical Elijah, which is antitypical every prophet, will find his complete fulfillment. That's in the kingdom. But between those two verses, there is an interim period, and we all know it because history proves it. Brother Hodaf is not here today. He's been laid away to rest. And so if, if the Vidians could see this, they would realize that he is the last servant indeed and in truth to do this work, but it, he is not doing it uninterruptedly right on from the city after he invited those who were bidden and they refused to come and then he went out into the city and then he went out into the highways and hedges. The fact is he isn't doing it because he isn't here. So the time is going to come when he will come back, but since he's not here, what are we going to do? Just sit down and not do anything? Is God's work closed forever? Is he only dependent on a human instrumentality? No. 
God is not dependent on the human instrumentality. The living voice of God, which is living inspiration, continues on. It continues in the form of the Holy Spirit. It's never dead. It remanifests itself again and again. It's as a voice, as this, the rod teaches, beginning with Moses and the prophets and continuing right on. It's the living spirit of prophecy, and it's not restricted to one man. And if we can see that and see it clearly, then we will not fall in, into the trap of believing that inspiration ends with Brother Hardell and there is no more to come. In fact, those who make that statement even make more than Brother Hardell himself would make because when he was here, there are certain things that he didn't even understand. Let me read to you from this timely truth educator that deals on this subject, and it'll, it makes it clear here, I think, that you could see what is outlined. It's talking about the servant and the porter. This is Timely Truth Educator, Volume 11, Number 1. It's dated January through August, 1967. And I'm reading pages 8 and 9. And this is talking about the people who ignore the fact that the inspiration is ever unfolding. We're told here, they either ignore or forget the fact that the invitation comprehends the ever unfolding scroll, all the truth in all the rod. It comprehends knowing all the types which the rod validates as present truth. It comprehends knowing what moves to make and where and when and how. It comprehends walking in the light as he is in the light, reflected in the rod's progressively bound up testimony. It comprehends knowing and doing all that clothes one with the wedding garment. It means specifically to name but a few outstanding concerns, to know authoritatively one, when and how we are to warn the leaders of Assyria. Who will stake his life that he knows it now? Now, without inspiration in our midst, how will we know to do this, see? So those people who think that they can carry on the Davidian Association without having the living spirit of prophecy manifested through the porter, then they're really, they're really running without being sent. For Without inspiration, we'll never know when and where to warn Assyria. That's one part. Number two, when are we in the last 42 months? Who will stake his life that he knows now? And this is very important that we know when we are in the last 42 months. Number three, when and where and how we are to call the true solemn assembly? Who will stake his life that he knows now? And you could see that in all these points that we need to have the living inspiration, the living spirit of prophecy manifested in our midst. For without it, we wouldn't know what to do. It's only inspiration that can inform our minds correctly on these important points. Number four, when are we to sell our properties? Who will stake his life that he knows now? Number five, 
when we dare not any longer fail to leave the big cities in preparation for leaving the smaller ones, who will stake his life that he knows now? Number six, and even when we are positively no longer to use dairy products and eggs, who will stake his life that he knows now? There cannot be another servant. The dead servant cannot speak on these matters, not even from his writings, for they do not tell the time of a single one of these events. How then are we to know the time of them? And it's only true the living, never-erring spirit of prophecy that will have the right answers for us. So you can see how important it is for us to believe believe all that the Lord has left on record for us concerning this all-important subject on the porter. Now going back to the TG, 1 TG 2, we'll read further. And I'll read verse 4 from this instead of going back to the Bible. It quotes it here, verse 4, John 10, 4. And when he put it forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. How does the sheep know to follow him? Voice. Now, there's a difference between voice and face, you know. Let's read further. Since his sheep know not faces, but know voices, then those who pay attention to faces and who cannot differentiate between voice and voice are sure to be misled by self-appointed shepherds. So these self-appointed shepherds, they have their faces, but they don't have the true voice. And people are paying attention to their faces. That's why they have a following, you know. For one reason or another, they don't like the face that is on the porter. That's clear. But they like the face that is on the self-appointed shepherd. And so they're following the, the self-appointed shepherd. But those who give heed only to the voice, the voice of truth, are gently led in for shelter and out for green pastures. God's people are not bothered with faces, but they do give earnest heed to God-appointed voices uttering truth. So this is very important here. Notice what it says, that God's true people are led in for shelter and out for green pastures. So then the porter who authorizes the shepherds and the shepherds in turn gently lead the sheep out and in for pastures, you know that there must be some pasture connected with this porter. Definitely, because how will they lead their sheep to these pastures if they don't have one? Now, let me read to you from the Shepherd's Rod, Volume 1, page 243. People with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the woods, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. This is Micah 7.14. Feed thy people with thy rod. The verb feed is to be understood as spiritual food. And that food, truth, is found in the rod. 
Therefore, we again have the command to give out the book, Feed Thy People, God's People. Carmel, Bashan, and Gilead are used as symbols of good spiritual pasture. These places are where Israel had their victories. So what are these places used as? Symbols of what? Good spiritual pasture. Was there a place called Carmel from which the rod was given out? Yes, there was a place called Carmel. But is there such a place now from which the rod is coming? No, what happened to it? It withered. It's, and the rod defines wither as the being deserted. So there's no more pastured Carmel. So when one pasture is out, God has another pasture for his people. He wouldn't leave us without any food. And that's the reason why he had Bashan all ready for God's people. All ready. So that when Carmel withered, deserted, came to its end, then there was Bashan. Now those of you who know about having um, livestock, you would never uh, lead one sheep. Uh, just from one pasture to another. or I mean, you would never lead your fold from one pasture to another if that fold is not eaten up first or that pasture is not eaten up first. You wouldn't just put them here today and there tomorrow. But when they all, they're finished with pasture number one, then you lead them on to pasture number two. I used to watch the sheep herders in California going on with their sheep. In distances, and they would stop wherever they to have their pasture. And when they're all eaten up, then they'd go on again, distances to the next pasture, feeding their flock, leading them, gently leading them in for green pastures. This is the way it is here in the spiritual realm. Carmel is gone. Bashan is here. So we have all the evidences that we need that God is really leading his people and that he is at the helm and we have nothing to fear because we have the porter, the one through whom the spirit of prophecy is manifested. We have the pasture, which is Bashan, and we have shepherds who are feeding God's sheep. So you know that the others who don't have the pasture, who don't have the porter, necessarily they're nothing but imposters or they're nothing but goats as the rod called them and you know what will happen to the goats in the end now 1 pg 51 page 13 i read this once before i'll read it again who are the wise they must be those who are ever searching for golden oil those who have their vessels full, those who are let in through the door, are th those who have obtained and followed an up-to-date map of truth. Those who are let in through the door by the porter. See, that's what we studied because the porter is at the door. And those are the ones who have obtained and followed an up-to-date map of truth. A dead porter can't give an up-to-date map of truth. He just can't. You know what happened to the dead. Their breath leaves them, returns to God, 
and they had their thoughts perish in the very day that they're dead. So no one would claim that Brother Hardoff is able to give us an up-to-date map of truth. That's why I read those points. Those are up-to-date things that we need to know about. And unless God has someone here to open up these points to us as he reveals them to us, then we really wouldn't know what move to make and when to make it concerning these important points. Now I'm reading from Psalms 68, verse 9. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. God has a plentiful rain for his people. That's why we have such nice pastures. Because when you have a lot of rain, you know what happened. You have beautiful pasture. Something that you could really admire. God sent us the latter rain of truth. And he's confirming these things to his people. His inheritance are his people, those who are to inherit the kingdom. And it says here that they're weary when it was weary. What makes them so weary? Well, they're weary of all these false doctrines that are going around in our midst. From the time the shepherd was smitten, as Zacharias 13 verse 7 says, the sheep were scattered. Why were they scattered? Because of the voices. You know, they don't know faces. They know the sheep, no voices. And so there were all kinds of voices there to befuddle, confound God's people and God's children, the sheep. And as a result of all this, it's so wearisome. I could tell you it's just wearisome hearing all the different points that people have, people who claim to believe the rod. Say, for instance, this group in Salem, South Carolina, they have the face to claim that they believe the rod 100% and then would teach that such heresy that Carmel is in three parts. Just because it says in the midst of Carmel, they argue that if something is in the midst, you have to have something before and after. And so if Carmel was in the midst, then you have three parts of Carmel. It seems so foolish, to put it just in common everyday words, that people could go for such teachings. You wonder what is in their brains. Are they really studying? Or are they following faces? Definitely, they must be following faces because you can reason it out that this is not in the golden bowl. It's found nowhere in the rod that Carmel is in three places. And the same place is called Carmel. Brother Hautef never even dreamt or had it in his mind that Los Angeles was any part of Carmel. That name never even came to him until he went to so saw the property there in Waco. So you can see how outrageous it is for people to believe such doctrines. And that's just one of the many wearisome doctrines that's going on in the video. But the Lord is sending his testimony, uh, his plentiful reign, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it is weary. Now what does it mean to confirm? That's right, to strengthen. Now I'm reading from 2TG 41, 
page 21. And then you'll see that his inheritance, really the disciples make up his inheritance. They're the ones who will have an entrance into his kingdom. It says a disciple is one who follows Christ on and on in divinely revealed truth. On and on, see? They don't just stop at where Brother Howard stopped because they know that there are other important points to be brought out that he didn't even touch on. And there's so many of them, he never brought out anything on Davidic, Levitical order. He never brought out anything on the Jacob typology. Why? Just because that wasn't his message. He produced the testimony. He gave us all of these, the whole rod he produced. But they weren't bunged up. They weren't confirmed. Now, this is what we're told here. His disciples, God's disciples, will go on and on in divinely revealed truth, which he accepts. Not because others do or do not, but because the Father which is in heaven has through his Spirit personally convinced him of it. Because independent of what others do or say, he is personally persuaded by the Spirit. And the testimony is his living word passed on by his chosen and Spirit-filled messengers, the Spirit of prophecy at work. Hence, to bind up the testimony among his disciples is to confirm the spirit of prophecy among them and them only. And to seal the law among them is to have the law authorized and fortified by truth, to have them see the necessity of keeping it. Now you could see what it means here then to confirm the spirit of prophecy. It is to bind up the testimony is to confirm the spirit of prophecy. Now all of you who have read the latest publications, you can say truly as I have said over and over again, that it must take inspiration, the living spirit of prophecy, to put all those passages together the way they're put together. You read the very first one, the whirlwind of the Lord, and you will see that human brains could never, never put something like that together. It had to take inspiration from God to get all those references from the rod and put them together and made them so cohesive, so clear that when you read them, you wonder if that's the way it came, but that's the way it didn't come that way. Same way with the keys to the kingdom. Same way with all the rest of the tracts, including the sanctuary tract. It's one of the greatest piece of binding up of the testimonies that I have experienced since I've been in the message so far. I just marvel at the way it's been put together. And it's all here a little, all from the rod. Most of it, as my husband said, is just a, I don't know if he said 10% was added, of, but all the rest was from the rod. And here a little, there a little, and it's all put together and fits so nicely in the whole track that a person would think that's the way it came. That's not the way it came. The testimony on the subject was produced and scattered throughout the whole Rod publication. And since it took inspiration to produce that testimony, 
say for instance on that one subject on the sanctuary it took inspiration to produce that testimony on that subject I had to take inspiration to bind them up together a person with an ordinary mind could not have done it and the proof is that none of the so-called leaders and imposters in our midst have done any such thing because they don't have the living, active, abiding, resident spirit of prophecy among them. This is how the rod terms the spirit of prophecy in various places. Since that's not my subject, I wouldn't be able to read those references. But the Lord calls them active, living, resident, ever-present, abiding spirit of prophecy. Then why should anybody think that after Brother Houtif died, that ends the spirit of prophecy. And all we have is the rod, which they call the spirit of prophecy. Then the rod would be a greatest piece of contradiction ever because the rod calls the spirit of prophecy ever active, ever abiding, ever present. See, then it's not here. It's never ever abiding. There's no living agent since Brother Hodaf is gone. So you could see at once that as I repeated over and over again, that people who teach such doctrines and claim to be Davidians are nothing else but imposters. They're not true Davidians. Now go back again to Psalm 68, and we'll read verses 15 and 16 and 22. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill as the hill of Bashan, you know, when I read this text, I feel inspired, uh, I feel happy. And one reason I'm happy is that I'm here at Bashan. Just think that I have the privilege of being here. When a prophecy like this was written for so many years, and prophets of all would have loved to be here in this day to see the fulfillment of this uh, prophecy. And they're not here. So we have every cause to rejoice to be on the hill of God. And we should always choose to be on the hill of God. No other place should be as dear to us than the hill of God. It says, verse 16, Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. So at the time that God has this hill, this hill of Bacon, there are the little hills leaping for recognition. They're leaping, you know, it's just like, We've heard it illustrated. You hear the president when he's having his news conferences. The reporters leap for recognition. Mr. President, you know, they want him to recognize them. <coughs> he doesn't recognize all of them. He'll just choose one of them. Now, this is the way it is here today. These other hills are leaping for recognition. And if you listen to those news, news conferences, you'll see just sound like bedlam. They're all trying to get his attention. Now it's so it is in the video. All these little insignificant hills that's devoid of the active, living, ever-present, resident spirit of prophecy in their midst, they are leaping for inspiration and for recognition. But God says, why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill right here. This Bashan hill is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Now what does forever mean? Does that mean that we will never go on to Gilead? 
That's right, for as long as it's there. That doesn't mean that they'll be here forever and ever, like some people teach about the wicked burning in hell forever and ever and ever. You know that's not so, that what the Adventists teach is right. It's biblical that they burn until there's nothing more to be burned. That's why that term is used forever. Now, even so, we will be here forever until God is ready himself to remove us from this pasture when it's all eaten up then the place we go next is Gilead and Gilead as we've studied is the place where the total truth is the healing balm where God's kingdom is his spiritual pasture now verse 22 the Lord said I will bring again from Bashan I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea so this is what the Lord will do, and since he will do it, then we have nothing to fear, for God will do it. Now in another symbolism, here we have in this symbolism, first of all, we have the porter and the authorized shepherds. They're finishing this work that God has for them to do. In another symbolism, teaches the same truth. You have Zerubbabel, and then you have the seven tubes. These are the seven tubes. This we're told in track number six, page 44, that we have a bowl, a golden bowl full of oil. It's full to the brim, so no one can put any more oil in it. Now, there are other divisions, those that I mentioned that stopped at Brother Houta's grave. Those are not all the kinds of divisions that you have. You have another kind, and they believe that since Brother Hodges was a shepherd and a servant, since he's gone, that they have come up and they have to fill his role. So they're the shepherd, they're the servant for this time, which isn't so, and they're going now to put more oil into the bowl because Brother Hodges was a, a shepherd or the servant that filled this up with oil, he and Sister White. The others now claim that they have oil to put in there. They're imposters also. There, no more, there is no more oil to go into the bowl. But here we have what is being done now with the seven tubes. These seven tubes have to take the oil from the golden bowl and take it to the church, the lamp. Then you have clear, beautiful light going forward into all the world. There won't be any doubt in anyone's mind as to which is the true church at that time. But right now, God doesn't have that church. He has the bowl, he had the two tubes, the pipes. All that is the, has taken place already. Right now, he's working to get those tubes. You know what's wrong with the tubes right now? They're clogged up. If they weren't clogged up, the oil would have come right through them, see? So the thing to do is, as we're listening to this study and we want to qualify to be among those tubes, one of the seven tubes, we have to get unclogged right away. And we can do it as we pray and study and surrender our idols and live close to the Lord. This is the way we're unclogging ourselves. And as we live by every word that proceeded out of God's mouth, that we are not looking at faces, but we're looking at uh, listening to voices and that we know the true shepherd's voice, and that we recognize that God has a porter 
one whom he is using at this time, and that we will live up to the requirements and we won't rebel. When we do those things, we are unclogging ourselves and getting ready to, so that God can use the tube effectively and this great work could come to its close. There's another illustration also, not only the port and the shepherds and the tubes and Zerubbabel, there's another, and that's on the reign, the latter reign of truth. And I'll read here from 1 TG 17, page 3. The latter reign of truth, therefore, is the very last, the one that is to develop the people of God for the harvest. So do you see how important it is for us to fill our hearts and our minds with the latter reign of truth so that we could be developed? We can't look for any more or any other thing to come. Just what God has here that he's binding up through the active living spirit of prophecy in our midst. That's all. And as we appropriate it in our lives, then we're developing to be ready for the harvest. Over here on page 4, it says, Just as soon as this final touch of development is accomplished, the sickle is put to the precious golden grain. So then do you see who is keeping it back? The sickle is ready. God is ready to put that sickle in. It's we ourselves who are keeping it back. Plainly then, the latter rain is miracle-working truth that causes the saints to mature for the harvest of which the 144,000 are the first fruits. Just think how we are blessed of all people in this world to have miracle-working truth right here. And then we allow other things to engross our minds, our attention. Maybe television, maybe radio, maybe newspapers, magazines. You know, it says that the making of many books, there's no end. Books, other attractions, every other thing to divert our minds from the thing that is to prepare us for this glorious work. Just think of it. Miracle working truth is what we have. So we should make most of this as never before because if we fail to do it, then we're preparing to fail and the Lord will have someone else come and take our place. Be sure of that because we're nearing the end. It's very close. Now, how is God bringing this truth to us at this time and working again? We already see it's through the living spirit of prophecy manifesting itself through the porter. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. First of all, God has set what? Apostles. Apostles laid the foundation. Then he said, prophets. And this is why so many divisions get caught, or this is where they get caught. They said, Elijah's the last prophet, so therefore there's no other prophet to come. Well, you could, people could say that about the apostles too, you know. We had the apostles, so there's no other mode of inspiration at this time. And people do say that. So this is the way the devil works. 
He works all the time, constantly. He's never on vacation. He's never tired. He's always trying ways and means to get to people and to get their minds turned off from the truth in whatever way he can. So in this subtle way, he has fooled the Vedians into believing that the prophet Elijah is the last prophet, so there's not any more to come. But here, according to this, 1 Corinthians 12:28, you have first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. So this is how the Lord is working at this time. In the second phase association, in this time when we have Bashan, the pasture, and when we have the porter and the shepherds, are just preparing ourselves to be in the seven tubes, the Lord is working through inspired teachers, not just teachers, but inspired teachers. Let me read that to you from 1 TG 29, page 12. Here is God's simple remedy for his people. They should cease listening to soothsayers. You know, the soothsayers are the ones who don't have any inspiration, not divine inspiration. It's their own, their own saying. Soothsayers, they should instead hear what inspiration has to say. They should study God's word for themselves with the aid of actually inspired teachers of God. So you see what the Lord has at this time? Actually inspired, not just inspired alone, but they're actually inspired. And make their own decision. Never, never rely upon the decisions or judgment of others, no matter what they are or who they may be. But we are to study with the aid of actually inspired teachers, just as as First Corinthians 12 tells us, that they are to be teachers. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now we have progressed to this time in earth's history where we have the inspired teachers of God in our midst. Now coming to 1 TG 32.19, it says, the eyes of his people shall see their God-appointed teachers as they are brought to the front. So we have actually inspired teachers and God's appointed teachers at this time. So we should be very thankful that but for the mercy of God, we would not be here today. We could have easily been in the other camp with the imposters, with the soothsayers, with the goats. But God's been merciful to us and he has opened up our eyes to see this beautiful truth, to be at Bashan, the pasture that he's feeding his people with at this time. And then we should be thankful for this privilege and do all we can to help others who are caught in this web of deception that there is not this work going on at this time. They don't believe it. Now, in conclusion, I want to read from the Timely Truth Educator, the same one I quoted from before, and I'm reading pages 15 and 16. Why a living porter? Some question why there must be a living porter. The simple answer is because the Bible shows us that there must be, and because very obviously there must be someone living to bind up the testimony and thereby to inspect and let in, to let in shepherds and the sheep 
since brother Hawtus departure. How simple that is, you know. God's way is always simple. You don't have to give any great highfalutin reason. It's just simple. It's so simple that the goats don't want the goats, you know, how goats are. They have a lot of sense. From these goats we have in the barn, you can tell how they are. They just want to have their own way. They, they hardly want to follow the way of their master. He is not here, Brother Harf is not here to do so. Without the knowledge to do so, none can become accredited shepherds, and none accepted sheep, respectively, to lead and to be led in for shelter and out for pasture. Some qualifications of porter. Two other salient facts stand to view and focus our attention upon them. One, God is not going to station a novice, nor a compromiser, nor a self-aggrandizer, neither a private interpreter, nor a new modeler to guard the door of his fold. So here you see the, you see them. If God is not going to do this, then he has other plans. To let in only his little ones and to keep out all others. He will have one who is qualified by temperament, training, and experience to bear the responsibility. Someone who is a hundred percent rod-only division, who knows the master's voice, the rod of God, who is devoted and loyal to it who can discern false faces and false voices, and who is not afraid of either. I tell you, when you're in that position, you meet with a lot of opposition. And some things that some people write about this one that I don't know how he's able to bear it unless God is with him, and those things just don't affect him at all. All sorts of names some people call him, all sorts under the sun. But the Lord used this type of person because he knows he can stand it. Continuing, inspection for fellowship. I read point one, now I'm reading point two. These are the qualifications of a porter. Thus guarded at the door, this is why God's vanguard association, the fold of his little flock of little ones, Luke 12:32 and Zechariah 13:7 makes the inspection for entrance via its requirements for fellowship, very strict and attainable and maintainable only by faith. You see what the requirements are? They're very strict and attainable and maintainable only by faith. Some people think, oh, we can never get up to the requirement. For others, it's no sure. They have gone over the hurdle and the requirements seem simple. For others, it's so hard, and only as they have the faith will they be able to attain or maintain this thing, otherwise they won't be able to do it. Consequently, it is not why many are let in and why some are put out, why God's true flock or association is a little flock, not a large and rapidly increasing flock. The shepherds and the porter are committed and dedicated to the responsibility of leading and letting in only those whose profession of faith passes inspection and keeping in only those whose faith maintains their profession. 
those who get in by professing and appearing to measure up to the requirements of inspection, the requirements of fellowship certification, but whose faith does not maintain their profession, sooner or later, necessarily, either voluntarily go out or are involuntarily put out if they do not repent and reform. And I've seen this former taking place a lot more than the latter. I hardly think of many who were involuntarily taken away, but I've seen so many who have voluntarily left because they really didn't get their fellowship certificate in the right way. They didn't have the faith to maintain their profession. And so they just voluntarily leave. This has happened a number of times, both among the sheep and the shepherds, and sadly will continue to happen until the consummate purification of the flock. For the mysterious leaven of sin, the mystery of iniquity still works in the video, even as it did in heaven. And none fully knows his own heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17:9. When he thinks he stands in all his estimable knowledge of present truth and his supposed righteousness as a certified Davidian sheep or shepherd, then beware of his weakness. He falls easy prey to the enemy's darts. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10:12. So I think that's, that's something for us to think about, you know. I was saying a while ago how we should rejoice because we're in the right pasture and that we have ears to hear the porter's voice and we recognize the inspired teachers in our midst. But that's not all. We have to be careful. We shouldn't think that we're standing in our own estimation when then all of a sudden we'll fall, you know. Because they let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. This today, what tomorrow? So sadly, not all who get in stay in. Not all whom the shepherds and the porter today lead and let into the sanctuary and out again to green pastures endure for them to lead in and out tomorrow. Today's little ones, maybe tomorrow's big ones too big and too wise in their own eyes, any longer to be led and taught and inspected. Today's contented, maybe tomorrow's discontented and disgruntled. Today's runners with footmen, tomorrow's casualties in the swelling of the Jordan. Today's friends, tomorrow's enemies. Today's supporters, tomorrow's opposers. Today's defenders, tomorrow's defamers. Today's Judas, the disciple, tomorrow's Judas, the traitor. Today's Lucifer, the covering cherub, tomorrow's Satan, the devil. Brother, Sister Davidian, if you think you stand, beware and take heed, lest you too fall and become a castaway of one kind or another. What kind? The devil doesn't care a bit. Just so it results in your either rejecting or failing the porter's inspection. 
and you're either rejecting or failing to measure up to the rod's bound-up testimony. It is indeed a fearful and wonderful privilege to be a member of God's vanguard association at this decisive hour. Heaven has ordained and proffered no greater privilege and blessing than to be a shepherd in the gathering of the little flock of little ones and pronounce no greater curse than for failing to be accepted as a shepherd because of trying to dodge the porter's inspection, which once again simply means to dodge the porter in one phase or another of its bound-up testimony and thus to dodge the door, the Savior. Let every division and every SDA or whatever strike who reads these words know for a certainty that the man with the writer's inkhorn is not going to mark and seal anyone and that the master of the house is not going to welcome to supper anyone who has tried to dodge inspection by the porter whom he has stationed at the door of the fold. This is what the testimony of the rod makes unequivocally clear and certain and final. This, therefore, is what the wise shall understand and heed. Now, I think that this is enough for one sitting, and we should all study it over carefully and prayerfully and follow these admonitions which I just read here from these pages. I read up to page 17. And if you have this timely truth educator, read and digest its pages carefully because there's a lot more to it. This is volume 11, number 1, January through August, 1967. Brother Crawford, will you dismiss it, please? Dear Heavenly Father, our Maker, our Maker, and our King, Thou who sustaineth the all-living creature, we give you thanks to be able to study a portion of thy word. Grant us um, ever ongoing understanding of these truths for this time. Forgive us where we have come short and clear our minds and replace our own minds with the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Help us to walk in newness of life as we begin a new week. This we ask through Jesus Christ and thy spirit. Amen. for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bashanhill.org and you can call us at 417-835-2162.